Welcome to the Briggs & Veselka podcast. Join our partners as we take a deep dive into growing your business and building a financial foundation that benefits your employees, clients, and vendors. The Briggs & Veselka podcast is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Ryan Gore. Hey, good morning, and welcome to the Briggs & Veselka podcast. My name is Ryan Gore, and I am here today with Marisa Morgan, Briggs & Veselka. Marisa, thank you for joining us. Marisa is a graduate of Auburn University, don't hold it against her, and has years of experience <laughs> providing audit and consulting services to clients, and is the leader of the ERISA practice at Briggs & Veselka, which audits over 200 employee benefit plans. So quite a bit of experience to uh, talk to us about today. But first, uh, you know, I'm going out on a limb, Marisa, and I'm guessing that is not a Houston accent, is it? That is definitely not a Houston accent. <laughs> I was born and raised in Mississippi, and I've lived all over, but spent the majority of my time in the South, for sure. Yeah, and how did, how did you make it to Houston? How did you make it to Briggs? Yeah, well, my husband and I were living in Knoxville, Tennessee, and he got the opportunity at the time to take a position in in Texas, and we looked at Dallas, San Antonio, and Houston, and so I came out to Houston to interview with several firms to see, you know, what the the profession was was looking like. And Vesalka was the smallest firm I interviewed with and accepted a position there. At the time, the firm had about maybe 30 people. Wow. And just yeah. for reference to others, we're at over 300 now. So immense growth that you've seen. You you said that it was the smallest firm. What drew you in there? Yeah, well, really, it was talking to Johnny Veselka and John Flatowitz at the time. John was the chair of the audit department, and Johnny, of course, was the managing partner. And they were both just very down-to-earth, seemed to be excited about the growth opportunity for the firm and looking uh, for someone to to jump right in and, and work side by side in, in growing that. And to tell you a little funny story, I had, had come to Houston on a Thursday to interview Thursday and Friday, went back to Tennessee. I was working for a local CPA firm there. So I went in over the weekend to catch up on some work and answered the phone at the office on a Sunday afternoon, and it was John Flatowitz following up with me. And so he told me then, he said, if you come to work with me, you won't have to be in there on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> so he, he, he read you like a book. He knew you were there. He did. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's No um, shame, so John. It was no shame. about 23 years ago. Wow. And, and if you don't mind me asking, what was sort of your, I guess, position or level at that uh, local CPA firm in Tennessee at the time? Yeah, I was a, a director for audit and consulting in, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And then moving to Houston, you know, you can't really bring any 
book of business, basically from one state to the other in a local firm. So I came in as an audit manager to kind of get my feet on the ground, learn a little more about the firm. And then I really piggybacked with John of getting connected in the city with referral sources so that I could build uh, my network as well. And then it was about two years before I became a partner then in the firm. Yeah, and I and I'm not sure if this is correct, but I'm told you were the first woman to become partner at Briggs. Is that I was. So the first first female partner, you know, promoted within the firm. That same year, the firm acquired uh, a smaller CPA firm, Cantrell and Company, which was a husband and wife firm. So Carol Cantrell as well became a, a partner at the same time I did. Yeah, and I that that's amazing, first of all. And second, I feel like during these big career moments like this, you know, there's a lot that's bubbling up under the surface. Can you sort of paint the picture of what was leading up to that moment, how you saw yourself in the months leading before that position um, was attained? Yeah, I was just, you know, really excited about being a part of a firm that was uh, growing, had a lot of, of opportunities. There were four partners at the time, and I worked uh, closely uh, with all of them. And just, you know, it, re- it really was just one of those things where it, it meshed. I mean, we we worked close together in, in ideas of new service lines, new niche practices and things like that. And that's exactly how the ERISA practice came about as we were hiring people to help during busy seeds to grow the firm so that we could add more clients. You know, we found at the time there was a little lull in the, the summer work. So then we're carrying, you know, these individuals on the payroll with not as much work. And I had performed audits of just a handful of employee benefit plan clients, but those are summer type projects. And so I was at a conference and I'm looking at some firms thinking, wow, they've sort of figured this out. They're taking their busy season people and then putting them on ERISA uh, type clients in the summer. So I came back and talked to John and said, we need to develop this practice and and I'm willing to do it. And the great thing was that everyone was so open about starting something new. As long as as you were willing to hit the ground running and do the legwork, the firm was very receptive uh, to trying new niche practices. And so we started that from scratch. And now, as you mentioned, we audit over 200 plans, more than any other firm in the Houston market. So it's been exciting to watch that take off and, and give opportunities to others in our firm to be leaders in that, that uh, niche practice as well. Well, and it's it's exciting to see that I think that mindset still stays at the firm. You know, 20 plus years later from then, we're still doing the same thing with different practices like CAS and SOC audits and things like that. So I think that spirit still remains, which is great. Yeah, definitely. And, 
I, I'm told that you tend to joke around that your goal was to perform maybe a hundred audits for the firm. And then you, you know, now we're at 200. How did, how did you make that happen? That's a yeah, huge, it huge really, goal. you know, was amazing. Getting to the first 50 audits was definitely difficult. You know, when you, when you are only auditing one or two plans, it's, it's, hard to put yourself out there as, you know, an expert and getting referral sources to send that work to to you. So I spent lots and lots of time networking, building a, a team that could could specialize in that area. When we first started that, our realization was very low, you know, and, and it took about five years for us really to gain traction in that area. Once we hit, you know, about 50 to 60 plans and had demonstrated our ability to uh, service these type clients, provide quality work, have a team that was very interested in and that type of work, then it, we, it really took off to expand from there. Um, but at the time we were still using staff just that had free time and that, you know, as, as we grew, we had to then um, make the decision to have a more dedicated uh, team of people that actually specialize in employee benefit plan. But it took trying to get to that point for the firm to even want to uh, give up, you know, a, a team to only work in, in this area. But that's what we did. And as I said, now we, we have the largest ERISA practice in the, in the Houston area. And would you say, you know, how, how large was your team back then, even though it's kind of temporary staff? Was it three? Was it five? Oh, yes. Probably three or four people. <laughs> yeah. So and, what? We all did everything. So, yeah, and just touching on managerial skills as a as a team, you know, what would you say are kind of the same skills for managing three people versus I think y'all have twenty now, and yeah. and so what would you say is the same, and what would you say are different skills that you need to manage a large team like you do now? Yeah, I think really with this type of, of niche practice and, and any that you are trying to grow and develop a specialized team. The, the biggest hurdle is having that team excited about that practice that really has a passion for doing this type of of work and wanting to see it grow, wanting to do, you know, quality work so that referral sources continue to send that work to us. So it was getting a team very involved instead of it being just top down where maybe I was the one to dictate you know, how we would do everything. It was more getting them very involved in brainstorming and us coming up with best practices of how we want to grow, how we want to audit, how we can streamline our process, how we can get the best 
uh, use from the limited resources that we had. So it really is managing together versus managing top down. And I think if you were to interview or talk to most of that team, they will tell you they are very involved in the decisions we make, very involved in the train. They they lead the trainings with each other. It's a very close-knit group. There's a lot of pride in that group. If we are having one of our plans looked at by the Department of Labor or we're going through peer review, they can't, they're anxious to, you know, get the results because they want to make sure that it comes across that, you know, we are quality, we did a great job, and they take a lot of pride in them. That's great. Thank, thank you for sharing that. Sure. And I'd like to, I'd like to back up a little bit to, you know, when you first were coming on as a partner, as a woman leader at the time, did you feel, did you view yourself as a trailblazer at the time, given those those circumstances? You know, at the time, I really did not. I pretty much felt like I was part of of the team from from the onset, even though um, more than being the first woman, it was the first partner in a long time, like the, the group of four had been to, together making decisions for a long time before I came in into the mix. And, you know, definitely there were some some hurdles along the way, but I do give a lot of credit to the mindset of Johnny Baselka and John Slatowitz at the time of making sure that I felt part of the team, very open to listening to other ideas or, you know, understanding that we can can challenge each other. And so I think that's what made us a great team at the at the time. And and like I said, the ability to start new practice areas. I mean, Johnny set that tone, you know, from the the get go that he was very very open. And I think, you know, to some extent, we, even though we've, we've grown tremendously and you have to put a lot more infrastructure and governance, you know, in place with growth, you know, we still have some of those uh, opportunities because, you know, at the, at the time I became a partner, there was no HR department, no marketing department, (laughs) you know, we, Really kind of just the five of us, you know, sat around and, and made decisions and figured it and out. <laughs> figured it out. And sometimes, you know, flew by the seat of our pants, but trial and, and you know, from a, lo- a lot of hard work, determination, and I'm sure lots of luck, for the most part, we, you know, we would land on our feet to the, you know, the leadership that, that was in place. Yeah, it sounds like Johnny and John were far ahead of their time. How do you think perspectives have changed broadly? I think, you know, maybe people that weren't like-minded like that back in the day. Yeah, I mean, I say, you know, a lot of that has probably taken place because there are 
so many more women in this profession than there was back in the day when when I started because of the the hour requirements and with some firms the travel restrictions a lot of of women just did not pursue working in a CPA firm public accounting was just just grueling and and so that wasn't the the path as much then that has changed a lot and the the even the the work life balance that was not even a term when I was making partner that I'd ever heard of. You're, uh, if uh, Flatowitz yeah. is calling you at your other job. A lot has changed in our profession that has driven more and more women to pursue this as, as a career and has opened up a, a lot more opportunities. Definitely, as, as you can tell, I mean, we have a female managing partner now and lots of, of women partners in the firm. So, Things have has definitely uh, changed. Yeah, and and what two pieces of advice would you give to women who who want to lead like yourself? Yeah, I would just say you know definitely take every opportunity that that you can can find in the workplace and. Own it, you know, take ownership. And that if you if you're waiting for a handout or to be put in a specific position, then you're probably not the the best candidate. You've got to go out and, you know, demonstrate the initiative and taking ownership and pride and determination to get ahead in, in this profession. Awesome. Sage advice. Thank you. And I I have to ask, any plans for retirement? Any passion projects you're waiting to dive into? So, yeah. So, I actually am am going to be retiring in December after spending the past, you know, 23 uh, and a half years at, at the firm, but over 30 years in the the profession, and I'm looking forward to that. And I'm going to use a completely different uh, skill set. I'm going to kind of work a little in real estate as far as I love to flip houses. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, so I'm going to spend the, some time using the more creative uh, side of my brain versus all technical side in uh, doing some things like that. We are going to be living in, on the uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast. In oh, wow. So I'll get to enjoy being on the, on the water and different scenery and spend time with more time with my kids and my six grandkids. <laughs> That's awesome. Have you, have you, flipped houses before? I've done two and and really enjoyed it. I like the, the puzzle part of it, you know, which I guess that's the accountant side of taking something, tearing it apart and putting it back together again. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but it's, it's fun and I can do that on my own schedule. So I was actually just, I'm finishing up the busy season for employee 
benefit plans, which is October 15th, I was just thinking that this is my last busy season. And so oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of uh, bittersweet, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, Calvin and Mandy are leading on, I suppose. Absolutely. And I'm so proud of the team that I'm leaving behind because they are definitely set to probably take this practice even further than I could or I could have imagined. It's a great, great group. And I have so much pride uh, in in that, that team and look forward to uh, continuing to stay in touch with them and hear, you know, where we are and how they the the practice. Yes, there will be very big shoes to fill. <laughs> so, la- last question, and I've t- I've told that you know how to throw a party. So, what <laughs> what is one thing every great party needs? I definitely love to entertain and enjoy. Uh, party planning, which everyone thought for sure that's what I would do when I retired is, is party planning. I do like to spend someone else's money as well. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's kind of, kind of fun. But attention to small details make a difference in a party. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Marisa. I appreciate all of your topics, all of your advice. And thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for enjoying the podcast. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Briggs and Veselka podcast. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to listen to past and future upcoming episodes, go to our website at bvccpa.com. Thank you.